Welcome to the Making It Happen podcast by The Tech Garden. The Tech Garden is Central New York's premier business incubator, fostering high-tech, high-growth companies in downtown Syracuse, New York. And this podcast explores what it means to be an entrepreneur right here in CNY by interviewing startup founders. If you would like to know more about The Tech Garden, please visit thetechgarden.com or follow us on social media. Enjoy the show. Hi, I'm your host, Mia Tomasello, and in this episode, I sit down with Adam Fine, co-founder of Dropcopter. Dropcopter is a company based here at the Tech Garden that was founded in the mid-2010s in California and incubated here in Syracuse through the Genius New York Accelerator. For those of you who don't know, Genius New York is the world's largest business accelerator competition for unmanned systems, IoT, and big data companies. Dropcopter is a leader in automated pollination of orchard crops via drones. They help growers improve farming efficiency and drive healthy crop yield growth while providing a cost-effective solution to the bee decline and colony collapse disorder. Before we start, we think you should know it was not easy for Adam to relocate from California to Syracuse. Adam is a paraplegic and uses a motorized chair to navigate the world. In this episode, you may be able to hear the hums and buzzes of his chair. Dropcopter has experienced some incredible success these past few years, almost reaching $1 million in awarded investments from competitions like Genius New York. They have also received some major press, including their feature in the BBC Follow the Food documentary and PBS NewsHour. All right, without further ado, let's get into how we made it happen. At what point were you in California and thought, hmm, drones, bees, made the connection, and when did this idea kind of come to life? I have to back up quite a bit to think about the frame of mind when I was starting Dropcopter. It wasn't actually bees. That came later with uh, the introduction of my business partner and our CEO, Matt Cobalt. Um, In 2013, I started reading uh, any document I could find on drone technology. I saw this kind of trend of, of hobbyists starting to do really interesting things with drones on YouTube and on forums. And as I started watching these videos, I, I kind of changed my perspective about this is a cool toy to some different perspective, which was there's a lot of utility here. I saw there's a famous uh, video that's probably got millions of views where they use a drone to pick up another drone that's been trapped on the top of a building. And that was kind of the first neuron that fired there and I said, oh, this is really something. You can do things with this. And I had kind of a crazy idea to do delivery for food and beverage on golf courses. So I went about buying the craziest, biggest drone I could find locally in San Francisco and hired a team of engineers. And we set about creating a drop system that was inspired by the Curiosity Mars Lander where it it comes into atmosphere, it drops a line with a package on the end of it, and then releases it with enough time where it won't destroy itself once it hits the ground, (laughs) but still, you're not wasting too much time in flight. Um, That failed terribly. We couldn't find a single single golf course that wanted a big, noisy, loud drone overhead. The idea of dropping packages was really unsavory to the FAA, and they ended up banning it anyway. Oh, wow, okay. Yeah. So... From that point, I didn't really know what was going to happen. And it was right at that time through our motorcycling forum that Matt and I were both on that Matt and I agreed to meet up. He invited me to a food conference uh, in Moscone Center in San Francisco where 
he basically toured uh, the whole conference with me tasting different you know, hams, cheeses, and olives because he was an olive grower. And I would point out different things that were really good that I knew about because I was previously in fine dining as a cook. And together we just ended up talking about what we both had done. And he was very entrepreneurial and said, you know, I've always wanted to do, you know, interesting things with agriculture. And I was talking about the drone startup. And he said, you know, you should really look at agriculture for this drone thing if it's not working out. Mm-hmm. And about two weeks later, his wife, Anne, called me and said, hey, do you want to come up to the, the orchard, bring the drone, let's try and figure something out for pollination. And Matt said, yeah, all the growers I talk to have a really hard time pollinating their crops every year. It's really expensive. And they're doing some wacky stuff with ATVs and leaf blowers, blowing <laughs> pollen up in the trees. I think we can do something better with a drone. I said, great, I'm in. And so we came up, and about half a year later, we had a prototype and ended up pollinating the first almond orchard with drones in the world. I actually think that was the first pollination of anything with a drone in the world. At the time, I guess, there there had been a lot in the news about bee decline. So was that a major factor in that, or where did that fit for you? Certainly. That narrative has always really helped to keep us uh, relevant. But early on, it was very difficult in San Francisco to get in front of people with anything drone related. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a hot topic, but that doesn't really make it a easy conversation to have with an investor. They mm-hmm. want to see a lot more than that. Mm-hmm. And at that point, we were two guys, two guys in a shed, essentially <laughs> making something on the bottom of a drone. Mm-hmm. And while there was amazing opportunity for our company. We just weren't there yet, and the scene in California and San Francisco was very competitive. I mean, we're, we're swimming in a huge ocean in that environment, and it was just very difficult to get people's attention. Mm-hmm. But um, applying to Genius New York probably was the point that took us from the two guys in the shed to actually having some success and traction, so we're really grateful to be here for that. Yeah. When when did it stick for you? When was the first moment you were like, huh, this is this is really something? Was it after that first pollination? Um, that was a big milestone, but I think the first time it flew automated, uh, where there was no one on the controls at all. Like that was a big aha moment where it was just really vindication that, that we were doing something that had real potential to affect agriculture as a whole globally. Mm-hmm. We had that idea, but we really saw it happen, and that was great for us. I think that was yeah. 2018, after the Genius program uh, allowed us to purchase and, and fly six drones that season. Uh-huh. And what what has the feedback been from, from farmers? So, very positive. Um, we have different markets. Um, almonds, cherries, apples. Uh, we've done a little bit into pears. And we're looking at date palms and seed crops, but that's a new that's a new project. We have to we have to do those. We haven't done those yet. For almonds, we're seeing an increase of about ten percent in the amount of nuts that grow on the tree, which is great. Mm-hmm. Um, for cherries, we've seen twenty five to sixty percent increase, and for apples, we're seeing an increase in the size and the color and the consistency of both size and color. So very positive. Mm-hmm. Um, so let's roll back to Genius New York. You were in California. How did you find out about Genius? <laughs> <laughs> you guys are going to kill me. It was uh, 
<laughs> it was a spam email that came in. Oh, God. <laughs> but I was like, oh, it looks great. Let's apply. So, yeah, sometimes that's just how things happen. Um, I clicked on it, followed the links, said, oh, here's the application process. I need this, this, and this. Uh-huh. Within about two weeks, I had made a pitch. Um, wasn't all that involved for me to, to find the data we needed. All those articles provided so much detail for us that you'd mentioned about the bee decline, the potential markets in California. We just pieced all that together. We got a response from, uh, the, that, at that time, Director John Perry. It said, you know, you're in the semifinalists. Uh, please send us a, a video. And we had to scramble within two weeks to make this video because we had no, uh, you know, standard pitch video. We had tons of video we collected, but we never assembled it into a formal pitch video. So I, I found a videographer. She did a great job. We wrote a script. Um, and we directed this video within about four days, edited it up, and submitted it within the two-week uh, period and came out really well. We got a call about a month later, later saying we were uh, semi-finalists. I was in the, the aisles of a grocery store picking yeah. up groceries. I didn't really know what to do with, I think I said I was in the hummus and chicken dilemma. And I <laughs> had to focus to, oh, am I moving to New York in yeah. one month's time? So that was... That was definitely an experience, but a very good one. Yeah, I think we have that recorded, your phone call. Oh, yeah? yeah. <laughs> I think you do. Yeah, yeah, I think I heard that. Yeah. Adam Fine speaking. Hey, Adam. I wanted to congratulate you and Dropcopter as being selected as a 2018 Genius New York finalist. Oh, my God. Thank you so much. That's such an honor. I, I cannot... I'm, <laughs> I'm really almost speechless here. I Thank you so much. Um. So in, in the hummus aisle... Was it, was it really? Uh, at what point were you like, "Wow, this is this is real." Like I, I have to relocate, and this is this is becoming something. Oh, right then, I knew I was going to be going. Right I, yeah. I had basically uh, run into some problems at home uh, with stabilizing my life financially, and it should be said that I've got a lot of uh, medical problems that come along with the way I live, and I had terrible problems. Uh, figuring out what I was going to do with my life in the next couple of years. And all of a sudden, all these problems just seemed dumb. I said, okay, well, I can't solve any of these problems, nor should I, because I have a completely different direction and opportunity to move in that seems to solve all of these things. So it was a fantastic day for me. I, I mm-hmm. said, well, screw worrying about this stuff. Let's start moving. Mm-hmm. And you're, you're in Northern California, which is kind of a tech hub. I was in San Francisco, in San yeah. Francisco, yeah, <laughs> Silicon Valley. Uh, what did your family and friends think at the time? Were they like, where's Syracuse, New York? Or what, well, do they I have mention, some um, questions? My next door neighbors are, f- well, the, uh, one of them is from Syracuse and they oh. have family here. So they were absolutely indispensable in getting me here. Um, wow. they, they networked me with their family. I met their family and wonderful people. And, and they showed me around, helped me out incredibly. One of them actually ended up working for me for a short time, making sure I was able to get where I needed to go and getting me up in the morning. So uh, fantastic help. Um, additionally, I have another group of friends that were just phenomenal. I should mention Paul and Lisa Anderson uh, and their son, Daniel. And Paula, the, the, her, her sister, uh, she flew on the plane with me from San Francisco. Okay, the whole the whole move is its own episode, I think. <laughs> we'll try and summarize it. Um, yeah. I had to move my accessible wheelchair truck across the country. And the movers uh, promised a certain delivery date and failed. They didn't have a driver. So Paul Anderson, the father, drove the truck, uh, sorry, the, the son, Daniel, drove the truck to Omaha, Nebraska in, in one and a half nights with his friend. 
The father flew into Omaha and they switched and he drove it the rest of the way to Newark, New Jersey. So in two days, my truck got across the country to pick me up at the airport in Newark and drive me to Syracuse uh, on December 31st in the middle of a blizzard. Wow. Yeah. At the same time, the sister Paula was flying with me on the airplane from San Francisco to Newark, making sure I was okay. And then Lisa was already waiting in New Jersey after, I believe, her own flight to help us set up the apartment to make sure I was safe and and living in the apartment okay. Wow. Yeah. (laughs) Some incredible people helped me get there. Yeah. I mean, my mother was just absolutely terrified, but also just proud and happy and supportive. So, um, interesting period of my life. Yeah. So, kind of in keeping with Genius New York, you're, you're part of a business accelerator and kind of work out of a business incubator, the Tech Garden. You're surrounded by entrepreneurs and other startup companies. I'm sure you've gotten a lot of advice and you're just kind of in this ecosystem. What is the best piece of advice you've been given along the way? Oh, man. God, it's so boring. <laughs> Rick's like getting us to do mini financial modeling. That's so boring. Mm-hmm. But crucial. I mean, you have to do that kind of stuff. Like getting down into the details of every little aspect of what an operation is going to cost you to do. Mm-hmm. I, I never really thought that way about it. It was always kind of a get the job done, make it work, uh, damn the odds type attitude. And getting from that kind of swashbuckling rogue attitude of entrepreneurship and startup idea into kind of building a business and making it work and, and all the, the wheels and levers and gears that have to turn to properly make a business profitable was a complete switch in the mindset that I had. Coming into the program, I was all about just, this is a cool idea, let's make it work. And then after the program it was all about, well, cool doesn't cut it, you gotta make a business. And that, that was a big shift for someone like me coming from a completely different industry where it was all about just get it done. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Did you always know you wanted to be an entrepreneur? No, actually, no, not at all. I was initially in uh, fine dining as a, as a cook and a chef. I wanted to do that for most of my life and I had been doing it for eight years. I was working in a lot of uh, fine dining kitchens on the West Coast and planned to open a restaurant by the age of 26. And life took a very different turn. I had to kind of reassess what I was going to do. And I knew I needed to do something that was high growth with low learning curve. And that's what, that's what drones were at that time in 2012. Like, no one was an expert. You could go start building one yourself and know as much as the next guy. So that's what we did, and we just mm-hmm. learned as we went and crashed a lot. <laughs> but in the process, here we are, and it's fantastic. Mm-hmm. So drones drones kind of had a lot of controversy, I guess, a few years ago, and, and maybe even still. And bees have somewhat of their own kind of niche controversy. Has, has the business itself run into some controversy? Um, there's a difficult narrative that we even run into now where you want to be uh, a force for good. People talk about drones for good. Um, Where, you know, bees are declining, bees are dying, and we want to help alleviate that problem. At the same time, we're not out there to just replace nature. That's never the goal. 
I mean, we see ourselves as another tool in the farmer's toolbox they can reach for when there's a problem, if there's not enough bees, or they want to have more control over their pollination. But it's still difficult when you talk to people to clarify that you're not there to put bees out of business. And that's a very difficult message to get across sometimes. Mm-hmm. And you've, you've pollinated local orchards here. How did those first few go? So we did um, some of our test work out here. Um, Beacon Skiff and then another orchard uh, up north by the lake. And we saw really positive results. That was actually what I mentioned with the, the color and size increase. Mm. Um, people reference the Beacon Skiff trial a lot, but the, the results we, we talk about come from the other study. Once again, we talk about this bee narrative and making sure we're honest about what we're doing. The bees were going nuts at Beacon Skiff, and they did a great job that day. So we we don't cite that study because we weren't necessary that day, and we don't try to pretend we are always necessary. But when we are, we're crucial. Mm-hmm. But I should mention that Beacon Skiff was the first time apples were ever pollinated by a drone in the world. So that's that, that was what the story was really about for us, was mm-hmm. we got it done like here in New York. Yeah. Fantastic for me yeah. and the company. So what's next? What is on the horizon in 2020 for Dropcopter? Wow. So after Grow New York, we really had to kind of reorganize what our priorities were. So this coming season, we're really focused on the California almond pollination and drilling down on, like I said, the the micro modeling, making sure it's profitable as a single offering. And then from there, We'll be doing a lot of research. Uh, Something we learned is that all of our customers really value multiple years of research. So we're going to be running efficacy trials on how we do this pollination. Uh, We actually hired a a great guy, Alex, um, who's a drone pilot, but also has a background in forestry and tree science. And he's going to be running a lot of the study work with us, as well as flying. And he's been indispensable in kind of organizing our priorities with with research. Um, We have some international projects, which are interesting. We're going to be doing uh, some work on date palms in Israel, which is pretty great. There's also a large date palm uh, growing region in Southern California. Uh, We have also a project to pollinate uh, timber, lumber and uh, fiber and, and resin growing plantations in Brazil. And those are pretty cool because what we're doing is making sure the genetics are pure by applying the right pollen to the right kind of tree so it grows the fastest. It's all about the genetics of making sure that tree is not pollinated with the wrong pollen and making sure it's pollinated with the right pollen. So that's pretty cool. Wrong and right pollen. Oh, that's a whole different (laughs) thing to go down a rabbit hole of of plant genetics that we're just kind of dipping the toe in the water of, of prescription pollination, not just precision, but prescription, making sure that you're kind of tailoring your crop with the right genetics. That's pretty cool to me. When when did you, when was that new for you? Wrong, did you always know about wrong and right pollen? Or, no. Yeah. We were all That's just about thing. making more fruit, increasing uh, the amount that grew on the tree. Yeah. But as we kind of talked to more and more growers and more uh, crops, different types of crops, some of them express the need for genetic purity. Um, we saw that increase in color and that increase in size in the fruit of the apples, but we didn't know exactly why it happened. 
and we want to investigate that more, there's something called metazenia, which is um, an effect from the genetics of the pollen uh, affecting the flesh of the fruit. And we theorize that that's what's causing it. We're doing more research on that. So depending on which, which pollen you choose, that could have effects on the type of fruit that grows and the, the various, various attributes of that fruit. That's proven in things like uh, seed crops where you're, you're very carefully making sure that you're taking the right pollen to the right plant so that you have a corn that's resistant to, or a soy that's resistant to bugs or, or weather or more tolerant to heat or rain or what have you. But th that, that has not really been pioneered uh, with pollination in the specialty crops like uh, fruits and nuts yet. Mm -hmm. Did that make things more complicated for you to, to learn about those new kind of avenues like wrong and right pollen? Because like, at the beginning, I assume maybe you thought there's, there's just one kind. And, or is that how it was? For me, it's actually one of the most fascinating things about this is that the more you learn about your customer, the more complex and interesting the conversation becomes. Mm -hmm. Every crop or every market wants something slightly different. And learning those, those pain points or desires is part of the fun for me. I love to read about stuff and, and research stuff and learn stuff like that. The discovery part and the adventure of that is, is probably one of the biggest motivators for me. So I really enjoy that. What has been your biggest challenge? The FAA? <laughs> Probably the FAA. I'm not, not going to lie. I think that the drone uh, industry is highly overregulated. I think we're, we've got a lot of pearl-clutching types that think that things that are not dangerous are far more dangerous than they are. And I think it's stifling innovation and stifling growth in a, a potentially fantastic industry for the U.S. At this point, I think we've lost the tune. I think we've handed off uh, most of the innovation to other countries. And it's fantastic what's happening here at Central New York, uh, the test site at Griffiths, and, and what's happening with Genius, because it's kind of one little lighthouse of progress in the drone industry domestically, which is something to be proud of, but at the same time, we should wag a finger at some of our regulators because they're just crushing an entire industry. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, I said it that they banned deliveries. They also tried to completely stop the uh, pollination of crops from a drone, and we had to go through a lengthy review process and licensing process to do that. Um, I don't know why that's necessary. Pollen is naturally occurring in the air. I mean, trees blow it out of the, the buds and flowers, and. It doesn't matter where it goes. It's not going to harm anybody. It might make someone sneeze occasionally. Mm -hmm. Okay. Final question. What is a piece of wisdom you would give to people who have an idea and are ready to take the next step? Are you sure your idea is good enough? Um, ideas are great. It's the execution that matters, though. Idea only gets you into conversations. You don't get past that conversation if you don't have something that actually works. Um, and that comes out of the execution of how you go about it. It's fun to dream. It's fun to come up with um, ways you're going to save the world with, with this technology or that technology. But it's really about how you go about it.
just a, one warning to, to people involved in startups, if they're thinking about getting involved in startups or um, they are in a startup, make sure your narrative is, is, is something that is honest with where you want the company to go, also where the company is. It's very easy to get into, you know, a press story will come out and will say things and press inevitably embellishes your accomplishments or embellishes what you're doing or the reaches of what you're capable of doing, it's very easy to fall in love with that narrative. I think it's incredibly important to stay true to what you're actually doing and what you believe yourself. Because if you start t- telling someone else's story, you lose the tune on where your company is really going. So, so don't forget why you got into what you're doing and don't let other people write your song for you in other words well thank you for for allowing us to talk with you thank you thanks again for listening to the making it happen podcast by the tech garden we'll be back soon with another interview with a different startup company you can find us on most podcast platforms please subscribe to keep in the loop